tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. Yeah, that's remarkable. Alex, I'd like to start today's podcast by reading you a post, formerly a tweet, a post from X, formerly Twitter. Wow, you're buying into that, huh? Uh, I'm not buying into it necessarily, but that's just, that is what it is. There's nothing to buy into now. It's just, we're, we have journalistic principles here. You know, right. we like they to be accurate. They sent out their updated style guide and you said, well, I, if it comes from Elon... I, I shall follow. I like how you say his name different every time you say it. <laughs> You're kind of like Elon. Elon. Isn't it just... E- Elon. What? Elon? <laughs> Ellen? What's your post last tweet? Caitlin McGrath, staff writer at The Athletic for baseball. Blue Jay starter Yusei Kikuchi thinks he'll be fine for his next start after he left the game with cramps. The biggest revelation was that he said it may have been caused by only getting 11 hours of sleep last night instead of his usual 13 or 14 hours. 14 hours a night? At that point, like we need to start talking about whether or not you're like missing out on life. <laughs> 14 of 24 hours. That's like right, that more, more than way more than half your life. <laughs> way more than half. Have you ever slept for 14 hours in a row? Uh, I I think I have. I think you probably know the 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 times on which that has happened, right? Uh, certain flights back from uh, Italy via Russia. You slept for fourteen hours. That's not a fourteen hour. No, flight. But remember you. I I come back from that flight and I was oh. like wiped, and oh, then yeah. I just like crawled into bed and got in trouble with some people close to me who hadn't heard from me for an extremely long period of time. Oh, I did forget about that. Yeah. Outside of that, though. <laughs> now we have iPhone locations. They would have known that you're fine. I know. I don't know. Have you, I mean, have you? No. No. We just talked last week about how briefly in the 300th episode, which, which by the way, 300th episode, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Had, had a great time. Blast. So we'll be running it back every week from this point forward. Power hour every single week. I hope everybody's ready for that energy. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, thank you to everybody for the kind words. Thank you to everybody for the congratulations on reaching 300. Thank you again for everybody who submitted questions. It made the episode a lot more fun. And it made it flow much nicer than if we just tried to do a power hour and make conversation. You know? Uh-huh. Like when we were trying to start losing the thread of it at the end of the podcast. Yeah. We're <laughs> that just last like, Let's 37 minutes. You know? <laughs> Not just two hours, two hours and 37 minutes. Um, I said on the pod last week. That my sleep schedule is like back to back to square one, you know, in a bad way. Yeah. So I'm not sleeping for 14 straight hours. I don't I don't know that I ever have. I slept in like late. I still do sleep in late because I work West Coast hours mm-hmm. on the East Coast. But when I was like a teenager, I would sleep in late into the afternoon. But that was only because I would like stay up, up until three in the morning. So I wasn't just going to bed at midnight and waking up at noon. Right. If I went to bed at midnight every night, I would wake up at like six (laughs) i important uh important background to this this piece um mcgrath had a had a follow-up tweet where she noted that um follow post or or follow the style guide (laughs) kikuchi clarified that 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 is only the sleep he aims for on his 
nights before starts that he makes. How do you control that, though? Like, how are you just like, oh, tonight I will sleep 13 hours? It's not like something where you can just like, you don't just press it into a program when you sit down to go right, to and sleep. Say, don't, don't wake like, me don't, until... Yeah. I, well, I don't know. Maybe that is how it works with him. Maybe, maybe he's like maybe he goes sleep into a cryo chamber. Proven otherwise, like <laughs> wow, that would be really. We should study him then mm-hmm. if he can do that. How's your sleep these days? You know, weirdly improving now that I. Oh, I mean, nice. I now that I, uh, I'm commuting into the office more than I mm. have the last three and a half years, which means I have to get up at a reasonable hour, which means I have to go to bed at a reasonable hour. So all that to say, I'm working towards. You say Kikuchi's routine. You are such a sellout. <laughs> You've given up on the over-caffeinated, undersleeping lifestyle. Yeah, I'm not the one calling them posts out here, bro. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Twitter. <laughs> by, by X. X formerly formerly known as. Um, Actually, no, the reason that I'm doing it is not because Elon asked us to. It's because the, the New York Times did it. And we follow all things, that the, all journalistic practices of the New York Times here. This is like a New York Times adjacent podcast. Uh huh. We strive to be more like the Daily. Right. We actually, when I, whenever we talk about like MLB on the podcast, for example, I need you to visualize that there is a period M. after each L. one of those letters. Dot, yes. Right. Um, we're going to start calling him Mister Manfred <laughs> instead of Rob. <laughs> we're making a, a lot of wholesale changes to the way we do the show. We really are three hundred episodes, and we're like, let's let's throw the uh, the playbook in the trash bin, right? It's just like Top Gun Maverick, a film you haven't seen. That's not true. Oh, you have? I have. What'd you think? I, I, we're a little late on this on this cycle, but I enjoyed it. I think that's not a surprise to say. That's great. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of cuts against everything you stand for, you know? You're a real <laughs> anti-Department of Defense from what I, I know about you. That is true. <laughs> Me too, though. You know, it's some, sometimes it's nice to have your enemies represented on screen in an exciting way. Exactly. It's nice acknowledging you can hold two thoughts in your head at once like yeah department plane. of defense is like and and like u.s imperialism is objectively right. bad but like plane go fast and i loud. literally was gonna say plane go fast yeah. <laughs> engine loud <laughs> this is like when i'm watching ford versus ferrari and i'm like i'm rooting for ford mm-hmm. <laughs> henry ford the second i support what you're doing here yes yeah, he kind of cooked with this one big big ford guy big gm guy yeah i actually i don't love union busting but when henry ford the second did it it was okay <laughs> It was he was kind of trailblazing. Uh, okay, today is going to be a little bit of a grab bag episode. We're going to talk about a lot of the things that we had not had an opportunity to talk about over the last couple of weeks. There's weirdly been a ton of ton of news in the baseball world, like long term news that the Tipping Pitches podcast would care about. So uh, we obviously weren't going to delve into any of that stuff on episode 300 because it was an idea all into itself, um, and <laughs> we wanted it. That we wanted that to be a time capsule that we could return to, not one that we were talking about like the A's st- or the Rays stadium renderings <laughs> on. Um, so we're gonna these days that's evergreen content. Honestly, I know. they're just gonna keep making renderings, you know, for all of eternity. <laughs> just keep running it back. Scared money don't make money. Just keep pouring <laughs> money into those renderings. Just a side side note. That's got to be like a money laundering scheme, right? Because like the I renderings, like the teams like churn out these renderings every like six months you know and like they don't have any bearing necessarily on what the actual project will look like but you get to drop little people they actively show you what the project is not gonna be like exactly (laughs) like you can see that you can guarantee it won't be anything like that (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are definitely going to like their friends. I think maybe we've actually had this discussion on the podcast before that think, we should well, get into the, this business. Yes, because with the A's, they said that they spent $100 million in investing in what it would look like to build that stadium. And yeah. obviously all of that didn't go to renderings, although maybe it did. <laughs> but that's a lucrative business. $100 million, even if it's like 10% of that was on renderings. That's $10 million. We could do pods forever. We could retire. Yeah. And then they came out into the press and said, I think close to verbatim, you can basically throw those uh, renderings <laughs> in the trash. Dave Cavill is so sick. So sick. He really cooked with that one. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about a lot of the things we haven't had the opportunity to talk about over the last couple of weeks. We're just going to trade back and forth, nominating topics. This will feel a lot like three up, three down, but it is not quite as structured as like, these are good things. These are bad things. These are just like the main Headline news items. This is going to be more like part of the interruption, you know? <laughs> Later in this episode, we're going to take a, a brief break to, to talk to Allison McCaig, who's one of the co-hosts of Pod of Their Own. Some of you will remember that Allison came on the podcast last year to talk about Dollars for Dingers, which is a fundraiser that Allison organizes every September to uh, raise money for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Uh, it is associated with uh, the amount of home runs that the Mets hit in the month of September. So it's like a sign-up sheet that you can sign up for and you know you commit to do the donation yourself um we'll talk more about that with allison she'll explain like how you can participate in it and just how it's grown over the years so we're going to take a quick break in the middle of the episode to talk about that and then we'll finish out the grab bag um but before we do i am bobby wag i'm alex Baisley, and you are listening to tipping pitches Alex, I would like to give a very heartfelt thank you to this week's new patrons. The new patrons who signed up because they heard that episode last week. They heard episode 300 and they were like, you know what? Sold. (laughs) Sold. I need to be a part of this. That means the world to us. I'm not even being ironic. I love that. Thank you to Elisa, Kyle, and Hannah. Anything you want to get off your chest before we start this um, exercise? This grab bag exercise of serious news items over the last few weeks. Any takes that you want to share? You know, any movies that you've seen that you that you, know, you liked? Well, Bobby, I any I, TV shows you started? I, I I recently watched the movie, um, and you may have, I don't know if you've seen this already or not, um, but this is for the first time. I watched the movie Titanic by James Cameron. <laughs> You're such a Cameron hater. I'm not. I was a fan of Titanic. I am now. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I historically have not been a fan of the Titanic, but like the ship. Well, that's have you ever. <laughs> Hang on. Hang on. Being like, I love the Titanic as a ship would be like, I just love the 1962 Mets, you know, like I just I loved what they were doing there. Yes. It is. <laughs> like that ship has sailed literally. <laughs> so what? Wait, so what's your um? what's the upshot? What's the review? <laughs> Man knows how to make a movie, huh? Did you, to, did you log this on, on Letterboxd? No, I'm really falling behind on Letterboxd these days, man. Dude, log back on is my <laughs> okay, advice for okay. you. In everything in life. <laughs> log back on. You need to log back on to X, formerly Twitter. Mm-hmm. You need to log back on to staying awake late at night so that I have someone to talk to when I have random thoughts at 3 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you need to log back on to three, 3 to 5 coffees per day. You know, like get back on get back on the same level. That we were at when this podcast started seven years ago. I, I appreciate that this podcast is basically tracking like one of our progressions towards like developing healthy habits and the other one like trying to trying to pull them back. 
you know right but like on different planes we're going in different directions though because it'd be like i'll be like oh you know i've been like i've been really focused on like um like gut health and like eating a lot of you know protein being in the gym and everything (laughs) and you'll be like i had some cheetos and i got up once today (laughs) but meanwhile you're like i'm sleeping so well i'm not drinking too much coffee and i'm like i have three ulcers right (laughs) i'm like you got the bags under my eyes are starting to go all the way down to like my top lip you know (laughs) so things are good this is just the, it's the diary of, you know, two men in their late 20s figuring it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Last week's episode was certainly diaristic in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of um, revelations about our lives on that, on that episode. And I think people enjoyed that. But we don't need to do that every week. You know, I'm glad you saw Titanic. Why did it take so long? Because you hate women? Because you hate love? Because you hate history? <laughs> it's really, really gendering that movie up front, huh? It, it is a movie that was beloved primarily by women mm. at the time of its release. Got it. Got it. So do you hate things that women like? <laughs> is what I'm asking. <laughs> J- Jimmy was in his bag on this one. He always is. He like, always he's, is. And he I went and watched like no the, misses. I went and watched the like, you know, 25 years later, like Nat Geo documentary afterwards where he's like, I'm going to revisit that. Like, he's such a nerd. That's what I love about him. Yeah. He's just. What was the impetus? Like, why did you finally fire it up? I, it, I, the choice was made largely on my behalf, and, and I had no reason to say no. It, it had been a blind spot in my, you know, pop cultural awareness for was such a long time. Was this last night that you watched this? This was, this was yesterday, yeah. It's just way too long for you to answer that question. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that pause out because I want people to hear how long it took you to decide whether or not you watched this yesterday. Well, you asked me last night. I, I did watch it yesterday, but yesterday was all, all kind of happened at once. True. You know? And also, this podcast is not coming out till Wednesday, so you really watched it like five days ago. I didn't even consider that. Four so days ago. I don't know when I watched this movie. Anyway, time is fake. Um, the movie's good. How did he make the ship sink? You know, How did they do that? How does it look that good? Made yeah. in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Big Jim. Right. Especially, uh, I'm just going to say, I was, I was watching that movie and was like, and George Lucas did did all that with with what he had like like James Cameron CGI looked great yeah I don't know I just feel like George Lucas could have made the Star Wars prequels a little better wow that's such a hot take the Star Wars prequels came out like oh the prequels yeah 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 yeah. oh no god (laughs) I was like like, how are you invalidating the original Star Wars which happened 20 years earlier CGI (laughs) that like created the world in which James Cameron could make Titanic how are you going to talk shit on that? So, so you're anti prequels. I'm not necessarily anti prequels, but like come around to the pro prequel side, my friend. You but know, like global Lucas... trade. You know, <laughs> yeah, Hayden Christensen, religious religious fanaticism. Yeah. Like it's all there. Revenge of the Sith is kind of good. Yeah, it is good. Kinda no, good. I just I think it's funny. Clone that... Wars like needs to be stricken from the record. I think it's really funny that Lucas was like, I have these ideas for the prequels. I don't want to make them until the CGI is like there. Yeah. And then he was like, he like saw Titanic when he's like, it's here. Yeah, but this is the this is the folly of thinking that you can be James Big Cameron. Jim. Yeah. Like he he bends time and space to him <laughs> when it comes to like technology totally and film. Like no one like I don't think that Marvel is looking at Avatar 2 and it's like, oh, all of our stuff is going to look like that now. I think Marvel's looking at Avatar 2 and being like, that's too much work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And that's too much money. Yeah. So There's too much storytelling there. Well, 
You're not pro. You're not pro Marvel. Recent Marvel. I don't. How much time do you have? <laughs> do, do you want to do a baseball podcast today? I do. I I actually do. I'm, I asked you if you wanted to get anything off your chest, and you did. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Titanic's good. Titanic. Flame me for it if you want, guys. I don't think anybody listening would flame me for it. I don't think so. Either. I think it's a pretty universally beloved movie. I think so too. Look, I I'm I am trying to. I'm trying to hold myself accountable here, right? And mm. and let the listener know that I didn't have this appreciation, this exposure until now, right? That's just... What other gaps are you going to be filling in in the near future? Can I start throwing out some movies for you? Yeah, you know, you know my gaps arguably better than I do. It was, I would, you can leave in or cut. It's kind of up to you. It's powering through. Um, have you seen the film uh, 13 Going on 30? I have, yeah. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the film Pride and Prejudice with Matthew McFadden and <laughs> See here we go. No, I haven't. Banger. Banger. I'm thinking of sweeping romantic epics. Right. The notebooks. 13 going on 30 is not a sweeping romantic <laughs> yes, I just started out with that because like, I was like recently thinking about watching the movie again. Mm-hmm. Um because I was in the conversation with someone talking about how 30 is the best age you can be. Like 30 is the best age to be, which is like a core attendant of 13 going on 30. Right. 30, flirty, and thriving. Yeah. You know? Uh, anyway. <laughs> you haven't seen The Notebook? That feels sexist. That, that one is... <laughs> That's just, pretty yeah. sexist. <laughs> we, just had, we just had other movies on our watch list growing up, man. I was like... Like what? <laughs> like what? <laughs> name them. For a dollar, name a movie. Spider-Man? You know, you're watching all the boy movies. This Never is because really, you didn't have an older sister. I mean, yeah. I'm, we're going to fire up notebooks together. <laughs> you might get in trouble for that one if you are the one who breaks the seal. On that. Well, I didn't break the seal. I didn't say that, like, I didn't say that your co-host for life couldn't be there. Got it. I love that this name is sticking. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping it going <laughs> until she asked me not to, which means she would have to listen to the podcast. <laughs> um, I, that one is like, you got to do it because... Gosling is like one of your dudes, right? Like, don't yeah. you like Gosling? And McAdams is fucking goaded. Like, yeah. she's like the best to ever do it, you know, <laughs> of the modern era. So mm. we got to fire that one up. I think it could o- open some doors for you. You know, you could like take some style from them. Be one of those guys that dresses like it's the 1930s. Well, here's you're the thing: is like Leo in Titanic was getting fits off left and right. I, it's so weird watching him in that movie because it's like pre everything. You know, it's like pre celebrity culture leo it's pre like climate activist leo it's yeah. pre like headphones on during sex leo like all <laughs> the stuff that we know about him now and it's so hard to wipe wipe that away from your brain when you watch him in that yeah bizarre bizarre good winslet is also good too though oh i mean she <laughs> she's the best kills it in that she crushes it okay anyway now that we're done talking about movies for 20 minutes at the beginning of this <laughs> podcast would you like to movies not- that have been out for like 25 years yeah any other movies from the 90s <laughs> that you want to share thoughts on <laughs> Um, is there a baseball tie-in to any of those movies? I don't think there's a baseball scene in Titanic. Notebook. There's not nothing in Thirteen going on Thirty. There's a hockey tie-in to Thirteen going on Thirty. Mm-hmm. There's certainly not baseball in Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> It'd be funny if there was. There's a baseball tie-in in the on the romance movie um, Brooklyn. Have you seen that one? Sersha. Sersha Ronan. Yeah. yeah, I just watched that for the first time recently. Ooh. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. It's a good movie. It's, it's very powerful. I feel like 
non-self-consciously romantic in the 2010s is like tough to pull off. <laughs> you know, like everybody wants to be ironic and witty. Yeah. Uh, I felt kind of attacked, but kind of seen when the Italian guy, when they talk about how all Italian dudes in New York talk about is their moms in baseball. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, God damn it. I was like, fuck. Hit. I'm hit. <laughs> I'm taking damage. Uh, please nominate a baseball topic that we can dis- discuss. Preferably one that doesn't have to do with movies from the 1990s. Bobby, I want to take us to uh, to, to Boston. Boston Red Sox. Ship it up to Boston. Well, we, are, we are shipping up to Boston. You know who's argue. shipping out of Boston? <laughs> I do. That's one high bloom. <laughs> got him. We got him. Yeah, tell me about it. Look how they massacred our boy. Yeah, seriously. So he was brought in four years ago, right? Uh, after Dombrowski won the uh, World Series <laughs> and was subsequently fired uh, for it a year later. For it may be a strong word, but I don't think it was in, in spite of it. And Bloom came in to institute some level of, I don't know, sustainability, efficiency, right? All these yeah. words that we throw around. Yeah. He was the kind of wonderkind who came over from the Tampa Bay Rays. And I think this was the Red Sox attempt at basically creating a leaner, meaner machine, right? That, it, that succeeds to some degree on developing players and putting a competitive team on the field without necessarily having to push all your chips into the middle of the table like a guy like Dombrowski is clearly willing to do and so Bloom came in and did exactly that right and and, I mean inarguably the most defining move of that tenure is the Mookie Betts trade right but but it doesn't end there right because outside of that there is also nothing else you can point to that suggests that there was an organizational philosophy propelling them forward, right? There was a lot of let's strip down and really, you know, kind of retool around the edges and and build this sustainable, again, it always comes back to sustainable, right? Franchise year over year. And I'm still waiting for the first franchise to go out of business, by the way. Right. <laughs> what do we need to be sustainable about? <laughs> I don't they know. They seem to be sustaining themselves just fine. <laughs> well, I guess not well enough because here Bloom finds himself out of a job, right? Yeah. Um. Before we talk about Haim and and his legacy, to the extent that there is one, I I, f- I find this story fascinating. By the way, but I you mentioned Dombrowski and Haim taking over for him. I think it's so interesting that he was the GM right before him, and how the Red Sox won the World Series in 2018 with like a uh, a high priced super team, basically. Yeah that was one of the best teams of the 21st century, if not the best team of the 21st century. They steamrolled everybody on the way to that World Series. They beat the Dodgers in five games. Um, is Dombrowski the greatest GM who has ever lived who will never get credit for being a good GM? <laughs> because no owner wants to valorize the type of GM that he is. I think it kind of ha- depends on what happens in Philadelphia, right? I mean, I, he's, I think taken, it- like, he's taken three different franchises to the World Series. He's yes. won with the Red Sox. He just got to the Phillies two years ago, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So like, he's basically like Theo if Theo was like slightly less lucky. And yet we talk about Theo like, without him, we wouldn't have baseball anymore. Yeah. No, I think Dombrowski's like in, I th- by any measure, one of the most successful GMs like in, in the last 20 years. 
Yeah. He just get, does not get nearly the credit or like coverage that somebody like Billy Bean gets. Right. Despite Billy Bean never coming anywhere near what Dombrowski has done with three different teams. And Billy Bean, I, I, I named Billy Bean specifically because he, the Red Sox, clearly John Henry, the owner of the Red Sox, mm-hmm. has like flirted with this style of leader before. And then he wanted to recruit Billy Bean to come do Moneyball plus a little bit more money, you know, in Boston. And that never amounted to Bean actually coming, um, despite like a decade of rumors that he was going to do it. And then I think like, you know, Theo was the logical follow up to that. And then they strayed a little bit away from that when Theo moved on. And they went for Dombrowski, which is like a, a certainly a different flavor of GM and not nearly as interested in like prospects, not nearly as interested as like in building out the farm system and c- having more years of team control. He's like, I know who the good players are now and I would like to have them on my team now. And we are probably going to win because of that. And all of that leading back to Haim is funny because I feel like the, the consensus about him was that he, his tenure was doomed from the start. And I think that is true to some extent because the first move that Henry made him do was trade Mookie Betts. But I also think that we maybe shouldn't let him off the hook because, you know, your your hands are tied behind your back when you have to trade like the best player in the league. That's your first move or like this one of the three best players in the league is your first move. Like yeah. that's never, you're never going to win that trade. But also when you're the guy that gets hired because you were running the Rays in this specific way, this specific, like, we don't need superstars. We just need to win around the edges and we need to have team control and keep payroll down. Like, you get hired to do the Mookie Betts trade because of who you were, <laughs> because of where you chose to come up, because of how you were running that team, because of the different influences on your professional career up to that point. And then you don't get that job if you come in and say, I don't think this is a good idea or I won't do this yeah. or there's no way we can win this. Like you either had to like lie and say, I think that we can win this trade or that this can be a beneficial way for us to compete at trading Mookie Betts or you don't get the job <laughs> and he got the job <laughs> and then it didn't work out because big market teams are supposed to act like big market teams. Yeah. And that's the only thing that they can and should be doing. You can't turn the Red Sox into the race. This is what's been happening to the Yankees for the last 10 years too. They're just like so obsessed with trying to beat the Rays at Rays stuff as opposed to just being the Yankees and actually winning. <laughs> like I see more World Series rings for the Yankees than the Rays in the in the time that the Rays have existed. So I don't know. No, I think you're right to point out that Bloom really was set up to fail in some regards because this is not the type of model that has a quote unquote successful outcome in the eyes of a lot of fans, right? If you have been brought in to modernize things and streamline things and strip things down, that's not the stuff that necessarily bears out in the players you're bringing in or in your record at the end of the year. It might be borne out in your bank account, right? And and like the overall worth of the club. Maybe Bloom was good at that. I like I really don't know. I'd have to assume that the net worth of the, the Red Sox has not dropped dramatically in the last three or four years. I think to some degree, Bloom really is kind of that sacrificial GM that you need to bring in, knowing you may not find long-term sustained success with him, but as a way to sort of hit reset from the Dombrowski era, which is the kind of GM a lot of teams are moving away from. But like, then my question though is like, where do you go? 
from here. I like any GM can it's even Dombrowski can handle some lean years. Yeah. You know, like you don't build it's tough because it's like really hard to evaluate a GM just as a GM. Like I there have been so many GMs over the years where it seemed like they are a very qualified candidate and it seems like they are going to bring like all of the right tools for the job and then it's impossible to divorce like their performance from whether or not the organization was like ready for that person to be in that job right so like if the Red Sox spent the years between 2013 and 2018 being like Death Star Evil Empire because John Henry like didn't care about Liverpool for those five years and wanted to actually win games with the Red Sox and all of a sudden overnight you fired Dombrowski and bring in Bloom like are they just going to instantly turn the ship around no there's like organizational momentum to how a franchise is run and entrenchment in those practices and they don't just change overnight and so was the plan always for bloom to come in and just like be you know like catch flack just basically be like a the flack jacket for like the owners the ownership group to to use to like signal their desire to run things a little bit differently to like spend a little bit less and be more sustainable and get under the luxury tax and do things more like the, you know, the Orioles are doing or do things more like the Rays are doing or do things more like, I don't know, name any one of these teams, but it's like, you can't really just like ping pong back and forth between doing these different strategies. Like the owner can't say, I'll give you $280 million to spend one year. And then the next year we need to be at like 190 because it's just like, that's not the way like contracts work. It's (laughs) not the way that like, prospect evaluation works and it's not the way that like long-term longitudinal like drafting strategy works like these things all have to be working in concert and that's why it works so well for the dodgers because they're like no we're just going to spend every year (laughs) like there might be a couple years where we don't we're not the number one team but we're going to be over the we're going to be in the luxury tax every year we are going to have high salaries every year and we're also going to develop prospects at the same time we're going to Try in all aspects of being an organization. And that's what always like, that was always like a catch 22 in how I, th- I saw people talking about Bloom because it was like, there was no way to talk about him like getting hired and his performance without talking about the fact that the ownership group made him trade Mookie Betts. But also like, I didn't, I don't see <laughs> the list of candidates that they interviewed were all types of candidates whose organizational philosophy for running a baseball team might include something like trading Mookie Betts. Yeah. And like you bring that on yourself as a, as an executive if you subscribe to that philosophy and you like your like contributions to like the landscape of the game is like raise shit for lack of a better term. You know, like that this is what's going to happen. It's a square peg in a round hole for like a Rays executive to go to another team and try to run it like the Rays. Like Andrew Friedman is not running the Dodgers like he was running the Rays. He's like taking some of the skills that he had from when mm-hmm. he ran the Rays. But the way that the Dodgers do stuff is nothing like how the Rays do stuff. Like they don't try to trade players away early. They don't try to stay under the luxury tax. They don't, you know, try to manipulate service time like this. Like they don't, I mean, of course, every team manipulates service time, but it's not like all about that. Yeah. So I just, it was doomed to fail from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, you can't be a big market team who, tries to act like a small market team and come out in the middle and everyone be happy with that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I mean, like no one is actually going to be 
satisfied fully by that sort of compromise. And I think John Henry's finding that out in real time. Okay, the next topic that I would like to uh, nominate is twofold. It's just like all of the Mets stuff from the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. which we haven't had a chance to talk about. Uh, I'll get the 2023 Mets stuff out of the way first. There was an article in The Athletic by Tim Britton and Will Salmon, and it was it was well-written. It was like essentially a cross-section of how everything went wrong this year. <laughs> and there was some stuff in there that like I had not you know, maybe thought about or like that was a little bit revelatory to me. But ultimately, like the upshot of the article was like, they don't know how it went wrong. Everyone was just bad. (laughs) Which I read it and I was like, yeah, no shit. Everybody (laughs) sucked this year. Everybody was bad. (laughs) That's number one. Number two, obviously, with regards to the the Heim Bloom conversation and the Red Sox and John Henry, the Mets got their guy. They hired David Stearns. Stearns, most notably in his professional career, um, ran the Milwaukee Brewers for the last five or so years. Um, he's been, he had stepped down from that role for the last year, but prior to that, he was their president of baseball operations and he was their GM before that. Um, the Mets also tried to poach a guy named Matt Arnold, who is, who is their current, the Brewers current GM after they felt like they couldn't get Stearns. So the Mets have had their eyes on the leadership group of the Milwaukee Brewers for quite a while. They've just been like, we're going to hire these guys away at some point or another. And they finally did it. Stearns comes from the Astros world. He is a, he's a feature of Evan Drellick's book, Winning Fixes Everything. He left the Astros before any of the cheating stuff was unearthed or going on. And so he, his reputation is not quite as tainted or not tainted at all, really, by some of the stuff that other Astros front office executives have been linked to him and Mike Elias both kind of left like before shit hit the fan in Houston. So he has all of these like bona fides in the like cutting edge front office uh, industry, you know, like he was at the Astros like breaking shit and, you know, disrupting. And then he went to the Brewers and he proved that like his philosophy could run a whole organization that doesn't spend quite as much and he can, make clever trades and he can have a positive impact on player development. And now he's coming to New York and it's just like a totally different job. And it, it in some ways, like I I'm apprehensive to say this, but it does kind of remind me of the Heim Bloom situation, but there is one big difference, which is that I don't think Steve Cohen is going to hire him with the expect, with the explicit expectation that he can't spend money. Right. You know, like, no. And, you know, Bloom was able to spend money. He signed Trevor Story to a big contract. You know, they extended Rafael Devers. Like, they've, they've spent money, but certainly not to the extent that they used to spend and to the extent that Steve Cohen will be willing to, to give some leash to Stearns with the Mets. But fa- it's fascinating to me how he's basically, like, pre-anointed as, like, the next Friedman. You know, that was how he was described in Jeff Passan's article about this hiring. That is how many of people have been... That's how many people have been describing this what seemed like faded situation where he was going to be hired by the Mets and he's going to be given this huge bevy of resources to, to run a team that he never had in Milwaukee. I just, uh, it's just, it can go wrong in so many ways, (laughs) you know, like I'm happy about it. I'm pretty excited that the Mets have someone who's going to be running the team for like five years. And I feel confident that he will at least have like the time to implement a vision that isn't just, spend as much money as possible on like 34 year olds, which has been the vision for the last few years. But 
do you find it weird how a guy who got Milwaukee to the playoffs a couple times and to one NLCS <laughs> is now being talked about like Andrew Friedman? A guy who was part of a race front office that went to a World Series and didn't win, but went to a World Series and then went to the Dodgers and has had like unprecedented levels of success. Like it seems like a really high bar to set. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And I don't know anything about those comparisons necessarily. And it does feel like far too early um, to anoint him as such. I mean, they think, you know, he he checks the boxes of a lot of the the modern general manager archetype, right? He's got the like political science degree. He's young, you know, he's 38 years old. Um, is he so? Is, he's a millennial that makes him a millennial, yeah, an elder millennial. Hell yeah, yeah, that's important representation. <laughs> you know, he he has he's cut, younger than Max Scherzer, <laughs> he's cut his teeth in some of these like you know, organizations that have been known to be you know, on the quote unquote cutting edge of, of various levels of player development with like the Guardians and the Astros. And so, I, I think it's like I can see why. Mets fans would be excited about this sort of thing. I can also see why Mets fans such as your health such as yourself may be apprehensive to like say, "Hey, like it takes more than just a GM. Like the team's got to play good and as we've just seen, that's not a given." Right? So yeah. like I do think there is that sort of organization or I do think there's that kind of disconnect sometimes with fans where it feels really easy to feel like the GM will be the guy who saves you. I mean, it feels like a lot of treading the same ground that we saw when Cohen came in a few years ago, right? Where it's like, he is the one who will lead us to salvation. Well, it feels like, it feels like when fans and honestly, media think and talk about GMs, they think that like every decision that happens in an organization is like rubber stamped by the GM or like created, ideated, executed by the GM. Yeah. And it's just like, it's not that. And now, certain GMs who are empowered as, like, I would say, like, the, the like, visionary, like, strategist GM, not just, like, the executing routine baseball operations GM, like, the cult of personality GMs, which I think that, like, giving Stern this contract, having recruited him so intensely over the last few years, would lead you to believe that they will let him do what he wants to do. And they finally cleared house. They finally fired everybody. And they're going to let him hire who he wants to hire in terms of like directors of player development, you know, like assistant GMs, you know, like there are no longer leftovers from the Sandy Alderson era yeah. <laughs> in the Mets front office. And so I think that because of the way that like the media shapes the conversation around what GMs do, we often are just like, they are making all of the decisions and every good thing that happens is because of them and every bad thing that, that happens is because of them. And I just don't, I don't know that it's, it's healthy to like have those expectations on a, a GM hire, you know, because I just like, I feel like I've been down this road before, you know, <laughs> it seems like there is like an un, a never ending list of like extremely qualified candidates whose resume looks a lot like Stearns. They just didn't have that run in Milwaukee where like they made it to the playoffs a few times. Right. You know, and like how materially different is that for an organization? I think is an interesting and hard question to answer, but I think most people act like it's an easy question to answer. And I think most people act like it's a huge difference. And I just don't, I don't 
think that there is like a laundry list of examples of guys who like, and it's all guys, by the way, except for Kim Ang, who finally got yeah. a job and her contract is up at the end of this year. And like the Marlins haven't extended her yet, despite the fact that they overperform every year that she's been the GM. And I think maybe she might run the Red Sox, but I don't really know. There, It seems like there's like a laundry list of guys who they felt are like the next guy, <laughs> you know, like the next Theo, the next Friedman. And there's like, where are all those guys now? Like, what are all those guys doing? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer, I, but I think it's a folly to think about it in terms of like, well, if you're not the next Theo, then you know, then well, no, dude, he's got to be the next Theo. <laughs> I'm just being real with you, like the way that he's been talked about, like the way that he has been essentially crowned, like before he ever got here. Yeah, if he's not Theo, if like they don't win the World Series in the next five years, like people will be like, I was sold. This is false advertising. Like, I was told that this guy is Andrew Friedman. <laughs> I was told that this guy is Theo. <laughs> and I just don't... It's so much more nuanced than that, is basically what I mean. Like, if Steve Cohen doesn't say yes to some idea that Stearns has, and everything goes wrong because of that one alternate, you know, sliding doors moment, like, does that mean Stearns was a bad GM? If Steve Cohen has a short that goes wrong and he has $40 million less to spend and the Mets don't get a starter one year, like, does that mean Stearns is a bad GM? I don't, I like, I genuinely don't, I don't know. I almost am like at the point in thinking about front office executives where I'm like, is it, is it correlation or causation? Yeah. Like, I, I, I almost don't know whether it even matters how good of a GM you are because I look around at some teams and I'm like, are you well run or do you just have like, or did your owner decide that he wanted to like let you spend money on a player that happened to work out and it was like more luck than skill? <laughs> I mean, I think you're you're right to some degree that we overstate the the impact of a GM on maybe the like day-to-day ups and downs of a team. I think they have much more to do with like institutional philosophy and like stuff that like we don't even necessarily get to witness as fans, right? On how you're running your risk analyst team I think Mets fans will uh, not be shy about sharing their ire if uh, if things don't work out in the next few years I think we can trust that <laughs> Stearns will not be the only one to get an earful I just think it's a lot of um, executive performance feels a lot like 2020 hindsight to me like we look back on these executives and like, oh my God, they were actually so visionary when they were actually just making the same exact decisions that other executives were making and those the players didn't play well on those teams, so it didn't happen to work out for yeah. them. Like I'm not I'm not fully convinced, frankly, <laughs> that just because the Nationals won the twenty nineteen World Series, that that makes Mike Rizzo a better GM than like if they had lost in the NLCS, you know? I no, I fully agree. And so like, I look back at the last, I don't know, 10 to 15 World Series winners, and I'm like, there were other teams that were behaving exactly like those teams. <laughs> it just so happened that the players on the team that won played better in October. And I, so when we talk about, like, forward-looking discussion about results and, like, what will come of Mets fandom, I'm not, like, I don't know why there's, there's like, a collective, like, rejoice from, like, fans... And like media, I guess because it just makes it a better story to have like a new yeah. guy come in and be like, oh my God, this could be the next like cult of personality, like and GM he, like, that grew we grew up in that, New York that we write books fan, about. Like, it just feels like a backward incentive structure to be like, all right, now we're saved, you know? 
I think you got to give the fans something to be excited about these days. <laughs> We're one year removed from the Mets winning 101 games with Billy Epler as their GM, a guy who I know is not a good GM. Yeah. So none of this matters at all. <laughs> is all I'm trying to say. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Was Dayton Moore a good GM? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> Dayton Moore was doing dumb shit all the time no. and did dumb shit leading up to when they won the World Series and certainly did dumb shit afterwards. But was he a visionary because they won the World Series in a weird way that no one else really has done in the 21st century? I don't know. No, he was a visionary because he was anti-porn. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it sounds like I'm having a little bit of a mental breakdown. <laughs> but like, I just don't get it, man. I just don't, I don't get it. Because like, when the Phillies hired Dave Dombrowski, I think like, intelligent fans who don't really give a shit about like owner's pockets were like, this is fucking huge. Like this is going to be a huge thing. But I think everybody else was just like, all right, we'll see. And like, that's a guy who's actually brought three different teams to the world series. Yeah. And won a world series. And I just, David Stearns, cool resume, man. Like congrats on getting to the NLCS once. (laughs) Honestly, honestly, It's not like he's won two World Series with two different organizations. Well, well or but is that but you not, would think that he has? But is that not an an argument in favor of sort of what you're saying that the playoffs are a crapshoot in a certain sense, and so he may very well be a good GM who just got outplayed in the playoffs, right? And like is one of those guys who would be anointed the future, the once in future GM, you know, yeah. if he had gotten that win. I guess, but if Billy Bean won the World Series, then the A's would have won the World Series. You know, Moneyball would have worked. Well, no, but it I didn't. know. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, I just it didn't. The race are still waiting on their first one, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I do think that, like, when you get to... Like, you ultimately end up splitting hairs between a lot of... Like, I think that in the fans' mind, there are discrete groups of GMs, right? On, on And what makes them good and what makes them bad. And I do think that on the whole, they're all grouped very closely yeah, the, together. There's like maybe like one standard deviation among like the best GMs and the worst GMs. Yeah. But the, I mean, maybe that's not true. Maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like maybe this, maybe David Stearns <laughs> is going to come in and he's going to change everything and the Mets are going to be perfectly run and they're never going to make mistakes. It, I just think it's weird. And I'm not, I'm not even trying to zag. I'm not even trying to like protect my heart or anything. Like, I just think it's weird how like the second the guy is hired, it's like unanimously like this is the dude, this is the one, he's the next Andrew Friedman, like we're all going to do this. Like, <laughs> I don't think Andrew Friedman got to the Dodgers and he was like, here's every decision we're going to make for the next 12 years and it's all going to go great. <laughs> I think there's a lot of really smart people that figured out how to make the Dodgers the Dodgers. Yeah. I don't know. Let's move on to the next topic because we're like almost an hour into this. And we've covered two <laughs> topics. <laughs> I told you I had a lot of thoughts about David. I Stern. know. I know. I said I, that last week. I David didn't. Stern's. I didn't know what I was asking for. Yeah. I just called him David Stern, like the NBA commissioner. <laughs> it just just occurred to me how similar those names are. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a visionary. That David is a visionary. Stern was a visionary. Mm-hmm. The dress code, you know. <laughs> yeah. The potential. No, I'm not even going <laughs> to go down this road. I'm not going to slander the David Stern estate. <laughs> Please bring up the next topic. This next topic uh, has nothing to do with GMs or the way that their decisions uh, play out on the field or the success of of teams. Uh, It has to do about font. It has to do with fonts. Fonts. I think you know. You you know that I'm. You're a big font. I'm a fan of the, the the finer points of font usage, general user experience and design. 
Serif or sans serif? Uh, is it, I don't know, is it printed or digital, right? I mean, that's like... <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I, what's your favorite font right now? Uh, well, the one I'm using a lot at, 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 um, at my new job is Railway. Railway? Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm familiar with that. It's cool. It's a little funky, you know, the, the, it's got some curves. One of the ones where like the, the, the L's like come up a little bit. Oh, okay. You're, you're, you're perusing the font right now. I'm looking at it. Yeah. I gotta say, I don't love it. Don't love it. You can take that up with my uh, employer. I don't think I need to, (laughs) unless they're listening. Uh, I'm forever and always a Georgia man. Yeah, I do. I do like Georgia, Georgia a lot. Cooper Hewitt's another one. <laughs> we don't have to go down this road. Everything I write is in Georgia. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, all the Google I Docs. I all of our Google of. Docs to Georgia. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not working in Ariel. Sorry, that's Ariel's depressing. Do you know what Ariel makes me think of? Washington Square News. <laughs> oh, yeah, for better, for worse, <laughs> for worse, mostly. <laughs> Georgia, I like, but it's also really big. It feels almost like, like goofily big, bold, brave. Dream bigger. Fortune does favor the favor Fortune the bold, favors though. the bold. I've heard that. Uh, how is Fortune working out for the bold these days? If you don't know what we're talking about, that was the copy of an NFT ad. I don't know if it's NFT or just cryptocurrency in general um, that Matt Damon did at the Super Bowl in 2022, 2021, 2022. And uh, there was a report this past week that all NFTs are basically worth nothing. It's just worth $0. So I don't think Fortune did favor the bold. I actually think Fortune favors the normal. <laughs> like the just the normal people, like right, just just going about your day. <laughs> just keep your head down and fucking keep to yourself. Fortune certainly doesn't favor people who try to get on, in on get rich quick schemes. That's true. Like I, it never has. You know, Fortune didn't favor the Madoff Ponzi scheme. <laughs> uh, Fortune also uh, does not favor having poor kerning on the back of your jerseys. Uh, at least if you watch the Texas Rangers broadcast. Can I? Can I just play a clip for us real quick? Yes, sure issue with Seattle there's this thing called kerneling say it again that the distance between letters like oh yeah the font right what is it called kerning kerning gosh darn I just told Goldie too I learned you know a handful of new words from you in our seven years together and put that one down yeah, so kerning it's that space between letters it should be uniform right when you look at Haggerty's name on the back the, the H to the A is too big a gap yeah and they do that. They have this problem on a. Maybe it's maybe it's their shtick, right? Maybe they're. Maybe it's just a Seattle bit that they do, <laughs> where they like to make the the back of the the jersey look so goofy. But this, the names are just laid out terribly. And frankly, it drives me nuts. So that was Rangers play by play announcer Dave Raymond talking with the color analyst CJ Nikowski. Um, about the Mariners' uh, jersey kerning on their names. And to be very clear... Broaching the important topics. I agree with them. I, I'll show you a photo of this. Of this these oh, it's right horrible. Now. It's awful, I can't right? even look at I, it. Get it out of I my face. I see what Dave is talking about. Get it out of my face. It's terrible. I, I just have to respect the commitment. It's a long season. It is a long season. <laughs> There's I? not been a lot of positives to talk about in, in Texas in the last couple of weeks. So font, that's true. Thank God. Uh, so font aficionado that you are. So it's called kerning when it's like letters within the same word. Is it also called that when it's like the space between different words? 
So, for example, like when we used to work in newspapers, <laughs> really just one, I guess multiple newspapers, and you went on to work at AM New York, and I went on to work at Newsday. This was back when you could actually get paid money to work at a, at a, at a newspaper and <laughs> write stuff. <laughs> Different times. <laughs> now you just have to do pods. That's where the big bucks are. Raking in that sweet, sweet Patreon cash. Um, like when you would have an article and there'd be like a large gap, there'd be like a line where there would only be like two words that fit on it and there'd be like a large gap between them because it has to fill the columns in a straight line in the actual print version of a newspaper. Did that bother you? And also, is that called kerning or is there another word for that? <laughs> no, it didn't bother me. I actually thought, I think that's one of the, the cooler things that newspapers do is when all the spacing and like, and I'm saying this, I'm saying this unironically, yeah. they do the thing, right, where the columns are aligned and they and all the words go all the way to the the right i think it makes it very aesthetically pleasing to to read and sometimes you're like yeah. oh this line has nine words and then the next one has four Ooh, it was really throw me next it was really painful sometimes when we'd be like trying to fill a column and our designer would be like you need a hundred more words in yeah. this article mm-hmm. like there just has to be a hundred more words <laughs> like we can't make it work <laughs> i'd be like no, no, I have to add a hundred words to this article about an NYU press release. This is so painful. This is so painful. H- harder to cut words, too. Yes, it is harder to you cut words. You can just words. add like two although, quotes. Although preferred to cut words. I, yeah. I, that's, I mean, it's less, it's a little harder to cut words, right? Because it's hard to kill your darlings. Far worse at 1 a.m. to be forced to write 50 more words for an article that oh, you so did brutal. not even really read that closely. <laughs> And then you're like, should I share the byline? Like, I wrote basically half this article. <laughs> All that to say, I, I, I don't believe that is that is kerning. That's just spacing. I think that's like like word spacing. Yeah, it 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 does kind of bother me actually. You know what? I think it's funky looking. Mm. Sometimes I would add a couple words into my articles just to make it look better on the page. <laughs> just like a word here and there. Wow. Yeah. I never knew this about you. I was getting up to crazy stuff. You know, when you would look away. <laughs> And the design of the paper, if you added, added <laughs> random shit in there. Uh, you said a phrase just now. Mm-hmm. Thank you to the Texas Rangers announcers, by the way, for getting us on this topic. Of course. You said a phrase just now, kill your darlings. Mm. That's a very important phrase in journalism. Yeah. And writing in general. Prose writing, poetry. You know, you want to, I guess in poetry, you don't really kill your darlings, like all darlings. But it means for, for those of us who did not waste all of our money at J school, <laughs> go into debt for J school. It just means that, like, trim the fat from your story. You know, like, you don't need you don't need all of this fluffy language that you could just say in a more direct and succinct way yeah. in journalism. Like, you get to the point, basically. Um, obviously, in different kinds of writing, it matters more. Like, in news writings, it, it might you don't need to have, like, a paragraph in the middle there where you're doing, like, scene setting and, like, really flowery prose necessarily. But if it's, like, a personal essay, maybe keep more darlings in. Or if it's a Tipping Pitches newsletter, for example. Is is podcasting the exact opposite? <laughs> is podcasting like birth more darlings? Right, revive your darlings. <laughs> would you say we're killing our darlings when we do this pod? No, I de- I definitely would not. You may kill kill ones occasionally in post. Um, although I think that's a rarity. I think you keep all the all the darlings in here. Yeah, I keep most of it. Yeah, most of the stuff that I kill in post is like just dead air. <laughs> throat clearing right <laughs> literal or figurative <laughs> um i think that maybe 
maybe this is like a boomerang effect a little bit. Like we were told to kill our darlings so often that we were like, what if we created a podcast and yeah. then we didn't have to kill our darlings? The whole thing was darlings. <laughs> what if we did a power hour on 300th episode and put a two hour and 37 minute episode out? And people were like, yes, I will listen to this more than the other episodes. So what you're saying is you, we actually maybe have our upbringing as journalists to blame for this podcast. Yes, this is a reactionary pivot. <laughs> the last 300 episodes are a reactionary pivot. <laughs> this is us pushing back on everything we've been taught. Yep, pretty much. Although at the top of the show, I said that we were following New York Times journalistic principles by calling it X formerly mm, Twitter. Yeah, that's tough. So we're being pulled in different directions. Okay, I'm going to bring up a new topic. Yeah. <laughs> it's also about a GM. <laughs> okay, great. Here's a really good example. Is AJ Preller a good GM? It's like the perfect opportunity for that. The like, is AJ Preller a good GM forum? Right. The, the, the longest debate. Yeah. Yeah. Locked by moderators. Because he is like certain, he is like a cult of personality. Mm-hmm. He like people wear Preller jerseys yeah. to Padres games. And he's kind of beloved by the industry. Like the, by media, fans really liked what he did. It was like exciting that he was able to like convince Peter Seidler to invest in the team, to sign players long term. It was exciting that he was able to develop enough young talent to be able to acquire these star players and trades. Like <laughs> if David Stearns performed like him, would that be success? <laughs> I I think it, I mean, it depends on what you're definition of success is right i think that i mean i I won't speak for padres fans there's been a lot to get excited about over the last few years obviously obviously there are no banners hanging and internally the organization is in a little bit of disarray which is i know kind of why you you brought this up but i do think it makes it really hard to to judge because i look at them i look at the team that's been compiled and i'm like banger of a team oh my god (laughs) yeah and they stink and they're just not very good so the reason i bring this up is because there was an article um co-written by ken rosenthal and dennis lynn dennis lynn is the padres beat reporter for the athletic and ken rosenthal is obviously the national senior national baseball writer whatever his title is yeah you know he's ken one of the 30 most famous people in the baseball world according to tipping pitches podcast (laughs) put it on his movie poster you know like (laughs) In quotes, <laughs> one of the 30 most famous people in the baseball world, quote, Bobby Wagner and Alex Baisley. Um, they, they wrote an article about the, similar to the, you know, the article that was written about the Mets that I brought up already about how things went wrong and what is going wrong in San Diego. They called it an institutional failure. And people within the organization anonymously called it an institutional failure, described it as toxic. They called it a shaky foundation. And essentially the thesis of the article is that Preller is a very gifted talent evaluator. He's a very hard worker. He has obviously improved the the star power and like the potential of the team on the major league field, but that his working style, his cold approach to how to build a team, which is like trade away as many prospects as possible don't worry about organizational depth in favor of building the most talented roster that you can in the present moment has left a lot of by you know by this article's estimation and by talking to a lot of people within the organization 
there is an internal rift about whether or not there's an internal rift among managers, players, coaches, and other team officials about whether they are steering the team in the wrong direction because of that. And how the vibe is just kind of rancid, toxic around the Padres. And that has contributed to a feeling of malaise and a feeling of pressure over how the team is performing. And if they're not performing up to the expectations of the talent of the roster, then like, is that a failure? Is there anywhere to go after that? Is this all AJ Preller knows how to do? And it seems like, like where the article meets out is that I don't think that there's really one conclusion or the other. Like, I think there are some people within the organization who feel this way. And then I think there are other people within the organization who are like, he's done a good job. He's built a good team and the team is not doing well. But it seems like, again, we get to this, we get into these murky waters about like how much control does the GM actually have over how things play out? Because like at every level of every organization, there are people who make decisions and they don't make those decisions all of the time pretending that they are, have the GM's brain inside of their head, you know? Like, they make conscious decisions for themselves because they are people who have a view on how baseball should work. And those views are often changing. Like, Preller hires Bob Melvin, or rather, he trades for Bob Melvin from the A's, which was weird, to be the manager. And because he's the most competent guy available for the job of, you know, bringing the Padres into the, the present moment He's experienced. He's a veteran manager. He knows how to handle big personalities. He's been through a lot of different situations with the good teams, with bad teams, with young players, with older players, whatever. And he is a proven manager. And now he comes in and he and Preller don't speak, <laughs> according to this article. Like they don't see eye to eye about how the the lineup should be constructed, about how the organizational depth plays out in real time during a season. And I'm just like, when I see stories like this, it just makes me question as to whether or not like it really even matters that you were like good at player development three organizations ago or whether you like can evaluate young talent and make an important trade to get Juan Soto on your team if you can't even figure out how to get your manager to like get the team to play well. <laughs> you know, I just like it just <laughs> I have myself like questioning as to not, whether or not like any of this even matters or whether it's all just luck as to whether teams get good. Yeah, you know, I wish I had the answer. It's just, you. it's confounding. This Padre story is confounding. It's, it is really remarkable kind of what's happened over there in the last few years, given that this is as much of a window as they have ever had in terms of like on paper talent, right? Yeah. I think without being inside, there's no way for us to speculate on, on, on where that friction is coming from and why it's like not happening. It does strike me as being like, I do think it's an it's an interesting comparison to the Mets situation where it, it feels similar in that you have this wealth of talent that's not necessarily bearing fruit on the field, but it doesn't feel like the Mets have like a a level of toxicity that's in that's like feeding that, right? I mean, and maybe they do, but it feels like everyone's more just kind of down bad. Right now, Tommy Pham accused them of being the least hardworking team he's ever played on. <laughs> but also, Tommy Pham is like, you take what he says with a grain of salt because he's like notoriously a really intense guy. Yeah. Also, I don't that anti work care. Like, anti work. Okay, kings. sure. <laughs> if you can st- still hit forty bombs in a year, like it doesn't matter to me. It, I just so Stearns has been described as like a 
like a cold. Yeah, we're anal- back on Stearns. He's been described as like a cold analytical GM. Like he's gonna, he comes from the Astros, you know, like they make choices based on what they think is the right process, regardless of how the people who have to execute on this vision feel about it. Whether that's the players, whether that's the coaches, you can't hire an entire organization of people who think like you do. You can't, and you shouldn't, you know? And Stearns won't, because Preller can't. You know, no GM can hire a bunch of people who, like, 100% of the time are going to believe in the choices that they're making. That's just not how, like, workplaces work if you have more than, like, three people in the workplace. And so... I'm almost like all of this talk about different GMs and the ways that they their their philosophies or like these modern analytical approaches to the game, like how they play out in practice and whether or not they work and why Preller's team has not been able to perform up to the expectation of the team that he put on paper. All of it has been like in a horseshoe theory kind of way being like, was Theo just good because people liked him? Like, was Theo just as great as he was as a GM? Because he's, like, as smart as these other guys. But, like, he played pickup basketball with them, everybody on the weekend, too. And they, like, gen- they like genuinely, like, wanted to work hard and, like, wanted to hang out with him and, like, win. Because <laughs> it doesn't seem like all of the people who are following in the Theo mold really give a shit about any of that stuff. They're almost, like, it's been kind of, like, bastardized a little bit by, like, the, the Rays and the Astros for lack of a better encapsulation of it, where they're just like, it's like the stock market, baby. Like baseball is like, there is a right answer and there's a wrong answer and there's a mathematical approach to figuring out which is which. Yeah, the I, the emotion from a lot of this has been really stripped, which I do think to a certain extent is maybe something that Theo got. I mean, he's an interesting sort of bridge between the older generation of GMs who are like all vibes based and the new and the new GMs who are just like all spreadsheet yes. based. And like the 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 Bloom bets trade is a really good example of like when that goes awry, right? Of like and and you can lump Bogarts into that as well of like if you're going to completely blow up like that that amount of goodwill that you have with the fans, like you need to bring something else to the table, right? Like you need to bring a team who's going to succeed around the edges or who's gonna make a push for a wild card spot or whatever a lot of that is alighted in in favor of i don't even know what nothing right like there's nothing necessarily that fills that gap of here's how we actually build meaningful relationships within the organization and like like outside of the organization if, if that makes sense it does it's really hard to assess from the outside like it's really hard because you get these occasional glimpses into something like this Padre story where it's like people admire like his base, like Preller's ability to evaluate and acquire baseball talent. But it seems like they all hate being on the Padres <laughs> like top down. Like it doesn't like the players maybe don't not all of them, obviously, but like it doesn't seem like the players really want to want to be there it doesn't really seem like and not just because they don't want to be like in san diego or like members of the padres or because like they don't want to play in front of the fans like i actually think that they have a great environment and like they have a really good like they have a great broadcast like they have they sell out a lot they have a great ballpark like people want to live in southern california like i don't think that i'm not saying that to say that like players don't want to go there because obviously these players are signing contracts like long contracts to be on that team for a long time it just it feels like the fun has been hammered out of it. 
You know, like that team was fun three years ago, and now mm-hmm. that they are, they are like joyless. And I, I can't figure out how a team with Manny Machado and Fernando Tatis Jr. and Xander Bogarts and Juan Soto and all of these other players who are like fun to watch individually. It's hard for me to like find another element in this equation that doesn't have to do with the fact that like they seem to be run a little bit like on a spreadsheet, honestly. I mean, I this conversation and the ones preceding it about various GMs, I think are sort of like the proof is in the pudding there about how small the differences are between these teams and and between GMs and as fans like the limited degree to which it really does us any good to celebrate the hiring of a of a GM or the firing of another GM. you know like i think you can make some educated guesses about how certain people will behave in roles based on their past experiences but like ultimately as much as the power brokers of this game would like to like <laughs> like I, I hate to be that guy but like you still got to go out there and play the games right I, and it's like yes. i do find myself oftentimes coming back to this period of like all right yeah you can do all the legwork up front you want and get all your ducks in the row and have the best analytic system whatever but at the end of the day it's a game of of 9v9 you know <laughs> and someone has to score more runs i think that if i had to synthesize my admittedly like scattershot thoughts about all of everything that we've talked about in relation to GMs and executives today it it would be that i just think that they are having much less of an impact on what on results than we give them credit for i think that it's like it's something to talk about that people it's a person that they can look to and they say that this person is the person that made the decision that led to the players being here and then the players it's like yeah, we could we could blame them, right? Like, but the GM should have known that the player was going to play bad, or the GM should have known that that other player that they could have signed would have played better, you know. And it's like, why should they have known that? They don't make the decisions on the field, like they don't play the game. <laughs> why are we giving so much credence to these people? Why are we giving so much like clout in the baseball where like they are doing like ten percent of the work, maybe I, if that. <laughs> Like, I'll give them 10, you know? And I'll give, like, the coaches, like... I would say they are responsible for 10% of the work, right? As in, like, they are still working within a system in which, like, dozens and maybe hundreds of other people, like, feed into that 10%, right? Yes. Um, I don't know. That's, that's all I wanted to say about Preller <laughs> and the Padres. I feel bad for Padres fans because, like, it's gone so quickly from so much hope, so much excitement a really feel-good energy to it three years ago to now it's like, now what? You know? Now we've tried a lot of things. Our real, our only real option is to like run it back and hope that the vibes are better. Like, imagine if the Padres had the Phillies vibes. That team would win 120 games. God. You do this back. Made back, hoop is back. Tell the whole world the truth is back. You ain't gotta argue about who can rap, cause the proof is back. Okay, we are now joined by Allison McCaig once again to talk about Dollars for Dingers. But before we do, I do need to ask you a very important question, Allison. How are you sharing this Zoom with the trader named Alex Baisley? I don't know, but it's rough. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> Especially considering he was the two finalists were the Phillies and the Orioles. And the Orioles are my second favorite team. 
Oh my um, God. They're my American League team. Wow. So I was double betrayed so as I'm a Mets really and Orioles there. fan. Uniquely yeah. backstabbed. You know, you're the first other Mets fan who's been on the pod since Alex chose the Phillies. So you're the first person who can harangue him with me. Yeah. Right. At well, least at least on air. I've been I've been oh, harangued oh. uh many times by your family, I think. <laughs> yeah, you well, really have. Well, let's just wait till the tailgate next year, bro. Yeah, I know. You actually might get like beer poured on you or something or like, i think they may not let me in yeah it, i mean you better come correct you better not come with the phillies jersey that's all i gotta yeah. say <laughs> much like bobby i am a mets fan who is intimately familiar with phillies fan culture as someone who went to college at the university of delaware uh which oh, is boy. prime prime phillies territory delaware is very uh phillies fan heavy and so many of my best friends from college are all phillies fans and so it was it, it's it's rough scenes and remains rough scenes my best friend is a phillies fan and she's coming to dollars for fingers out of the goodness of her heart because it's a mets phillies game and she's gonna be wearing phillies gear so <laughs> oh my goodness it, it is a mets phillies game i didn't even think about that it is it is a mets phillies game wow um, the stakes have been raised, Alex. That means that you have to you have to do something you have to do something big, you know, to support this year. To not only because it's a great cause and something that we care deeply about, but be- because you've done harm in the world by choosing the Phillies. <laughs> right. This is and eventually playing your beloved Philadelphia Phillies, who just swept them in four games. <laughs> well, that that doesn't count. Actually, that's something else I wanted to ask you about, Allison. How um, does it make your life harder to do a podcast? That like it's not all about the Mets, but it heavily features Mets conversation with uh, with everything that's been going on for the last five months. Yes, and I, this year I feel is uniquely hard because there have been other years where the Mets have been bad, and you know I have to podcast about them. But usually it's funny, and so <laughs> and so like you could just like do bits and like you know just be like ha ha ha, it's so funny, lol Mets. But this year it's like not they're bad and it's not funny so like what are you supposed to do with that right you can you can laugh in a in a much different much darker much darker way not no one really knows what what goes on behind behind that laugh um much of this episode features uh frankly i i did edit it alex by the way already i edited the rest of this episode which is coming out Mm -hmm. tomorrow morning it features a frankly unstable conversation about david stearns and the future of the new york mets like i would describe my headspace as like manic to be honest <laughs> in editing uh, it and going doubling back on it so um where, where are david you at stearns, you're our god now <laughs> what are you um are you fully bought into the david stearns is theo epstein savior narrative i don't know uh like maybe like no but also like He's probably he's probably at least on paper the best best GM the Mets have ever had in my lifetime. So wow. that's that's definitely true. That's sad, <laughs> sad but true. Which the bar is in Hades, but like right, it's like it's maybe. like him, like Brody Van Wagenen, and then fifty feet of shit, and then everyone else. Put some respect on twenty twelve Sandy Alderson's name, Alex. Put yeah, some no, Sandy Alderson was good at first. Good yeah. at first, and then he just was around for. There's like a whole subsection of Mets fans who are like Omar Minaya defenders because Minaya like drafted a lot of the players that built the Sandy Alderson teams that made it to the playoffs. And I'm just like, when you really have to like split hairs like that, I'm like, none of them were good then. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you really try- And now all those people are vindicated because Omar Minaya is the one who wanted to hire David Stearns. And they're all like, Omar was right. Omar's team. <laughs> 
<laughs> we are a very unhealthy, a deeply unhealthy bunch of people. Deeply, so deeply upsetting. unhealthy. Um, okay. Tell tell the people about Dollars for Dingers. Number one, when when is the event? How can they support? What's what's the best way? What are all the deets? Yes. So Dollars for Dingers is an annual campaign that my podcast, A Pot of Their Own, does um, where we, uh, first of all, it's kind of two parts. It's a pledge drive and then it's also an in-person raffle event. So the pledge drive portion starts at the beginning of the month and runs through the entire month of September. It's not too late to participate in the pledge drive through the miracle of Google Sheets and my exceptional Excel skills. No, we won't call them exceptional, but you know, I I've worked very hard on perfecting the sheet over the years. I'm very proud of it. Um, through our public Google sheet, you can enter a pledge, um, for a certain dollar amount per home run the Mets hit in the month of September. Um, and that goes toward the overall um, fundraising effort. And that kind of accumulates over the course of the month. And people also do a bunch of fun extra pledges that you can pledge for your favorite player. You can pledge if something really weird happens. A lot of people pledged about if Edwin Diaz returns this season, which we lost a lot of money on that day that they said <laughs> Edwin Diaz is not returning this season. Um, and uh, Francisco Lindor 30-30 season. Uh, Francisco Alvarez uh, matches Johnny Bench's record. Um, all those sorts of um, things. And people get really creative with it. So there are also really weird ones. Um, but yeah, the weirder you make it, the better. Uh, you can put in an extra pledge, but you don't have to. Um, so that all goes toward the like fundraising total. But then in addition to the month-long campaign, we also have an in-person raffle event, which is taking place this Saturday, September 30th at Ebbs, at City Field, prior to the Mets game against the Phillies. Um, and all the proceeds from that raffle event go to the overall campaign and benefit the National Domestic Violence Hotline. We have so, so many cool prizes to raffle off. Um, we have like kind of two tiers of prizes. There's the regular tier, which is really cool in and of itself. A bunch of stuff, a prize pack from Ebbs, a prize pack from the Seven Line, um, dugout mugs, uh, a, a bunch of Yola, signed Yola Tango records, very famously Mets uh, adjacent content. That's um, right. And a, a whole bunch of other cool prizes that we have um, for everybody, bobbleheads, et cetera. Um, so there's those prizes. And then we have like kind of the premium tier prizes, which is signed memorabilia. We have uh, a signed Starling Marte baseball from the Mets. Uh, they gave that to us long before <laughs> injuries derailed his season, sadly, but it's still really, really cool. Um, and we have uh, signed Rumble Ponies, four, four balls from the Rumble Ponies signed by Mets prospects. We send Halacuna among them, Drew Gilbert among them. Um, wow. And so Log okay. Logan Gilbert. I, I messed up his name. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a prospect. Uh, we're not the prospect podcast. We have a prospect <laughs> podcast. It's not ours. Um, but yeah, for uh, for Rumble Pony sign balls, we have and we also have a home run apple neon from athlete logos. Um, and those are will also be part of the prizes. So all the proceeds from the raffle tickets go to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. We call out the winners around six o'clock before the game so that folks have time to file into the stadium. It should be a really fun time. And also we just get to hang out with all, all our community that make our podcast and this fundraising event possible. And we really enjoy seeing everyone's faces and um, it's, it should be a really good time for a good cause. So if you are local to the area, especially um, please, please come out and support us. It'd be really awesome. Alex, did you win something last year at the raffle? I won a, a couple things. I, I think I, um, wow, rigged, rigged, yeah, rigged. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I went home with like, I think I needed like a bag of stuff and I was like, <laughs> can I leave this with you guys? 
which you can do. You can leave the stuff at Ebbs and Ebbs is so kind to us and they stay open after the game too. So if you have too much stuff, if you're somehow very lucky and win a bunch of things like Alex did, then you can keep the stuff at Ebbs and come back afterwards. I feel like yeah. Ebbs might be the best kept secret in Queens, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh my God, like know. around City Field. People don't know that you can just go to Ebbs and hang out before and after the game. And it's like an easy way to buy beer that's half as expensive as it is 20 yards to to the right in the park. <laughs> and twice as good. Yeah, and twice yeah. as good, exactly. So you want and nobody knows that uh, that no one goes in the right field gate, which is the gate that's right next to Ebbs. And so I always on the bobblehead giveaways, I go to Ebbs like two hours before the game. And then I go in that gate and everybody else is waiting like hours and hours at the Jackie Robinson rotunda. And I'm like zipping right in with my little bobblehead and I'm like, deuces. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely Suckers. is. It's such a it's such a hack. You know, you gave that information away last year. I remember. Yeah, I, I remember know. that. And and ever since then, we've been um, utilizing that. It was so much fun to be there last year. By the way, I, I unfortunately yeah. cannot be there this year at the uh, September thirtieth um, game against Alex's Philadelphia Phillies because I will be in Seattle um, for for a family wedding, uh, attending a Mariners game for the first time in my life. Um, but I'm really excited uh, to see uh, what comes out of it and who who you rig it for this year. You know, since you rigged it for Alex to win multiple prizes last year, which he now has to forfeit, since it, especially if they're <laughs> especially if they're Mets prizes, because you're a Phillies fan now, you have to give those back. <laughs> I know, I really. <laughs> the, uh, the no, you don't have to give them back. The athlete logo's neon sign is a real. That's a big time prize. That's a winner. Yeah, I actually yeah. I want to say last year after we saw you give away that athlete logo's the 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 LED sign, we were like we should just get one of those ourselves, and now we have one in the studio. They're awesome. They're it, Dan is incredible. He does such good work. Um, and the the neon and the Starling Marte signed ball. For those two items only, we're accepting like online raffle ticket purchases. We can't do it for everything because we are just a team of very few, and we can't manage online raffle and in-person raffle tickets for all the pri- all the awesome prizes that we have. But we try to give folks an opportunity who either a can't attend in person or B are not local to the area and logistically it's impossible for them to come. We don't we want those folks to be able to have an opportunity to win something. So um for the Starling Marte signed baseball and the um and the athlete logos neon, you can if you go to our social media at a pot of their own on Twitter and Instagram and all the places, um you can find a link to a Google form um that we tweeted out and the Google form you can purchase uh on uh, tickets online that way just for those two things. I, I think one of my favorite uh, parts of this every year is seeing all the creative sort of pledges that people make, right? Yeah. As you mentioned, um, the standard is, you know, you can you tie it to a home run total or something like that if the Mets hit X uh, number. Um, but people get really crazy with it in, in the best way possible, right? So there's yep. some, um, there's there's Japanese baseball represented here. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, there was, I think I saw Gary, uh, mention CBGB. I don't know if, if th- that spawned from anything or if that was just a, a hope and dream of one particular person. <laughs> I think it's uh, an inside joke from one broadcast where he did that once and, right. and they're, they're hoping he does it again. Um, uh, yeah, my, uh, Michael's my partner's brother-in-law gets very very creative with his pledges and this year because we have a nephew named Luke his son is named Luke he's pledging extra for home runs by any player in Major League Baseball named Luke so 
Oh. Tampa Bay Rays, Luke Rayleigh, looking at you, kid. You're like the most like <laughs> prolific home run hitting Luke in the league currently. So yeah, too bad Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt fell off a cliff. Otherwise, I, we'd have some no more money way. to donate towards it. Yeah, I um, know. When the Mets were playing the Reds recently, I was like, Luke Maley, come on, man, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> serve him up. Serve up some meatballs for him, Mets pitchers, Mets for relievers. Luke that, sh- that shouldn't be too hard for you guys. You guys have been doing it all year, you know. Um, and there's a guy who pledged for um, getting hit in the beans, and uh, Jeff McNeil literally did that. Wow! <laughs> like he fouled the ball. Yeah, he did off, off himself. That was winner. Kind of, that was kind of uh, tough to watch, but I'm glad it was for a yeah, good cause. Thank you. <laughs> Pulled a Valdez bean. Uh, Alex, any um, any ideas for some creative integrations this year? I don't remember what I did for mine last year. I think I I think I jumped on the um, uh, you know set amount for every home run plus an, an extra dollar for every Braves lost or something like that, which a lot of people were doing at the time. Unfortunately, the Braves lost like twice last September <laughs> and they chased the Mets down and won the division and it's been all downhill since then. So uh, we lost so much money last year because so many people had like postseason based things like Mets win the division. We lost a ton of money mm. because they didn't met like how far the Mets advance in the postseason. They did not advance in the postseason. <laughs> Ron so what Howard you're saying is, over. don't be too bullish right. with your yeah. predictions. Don't look too far down the road. Right, exactly. But yeah, we love creative pledges. We love it. I think I have Lindor 30-30 season, which is not super creative, but at least still is possible. Is even attainable. If the, yeah, even if the... Uh, even if the chances are dwindling by the day, he's got to hit like three... He's got to hit three more home runs in the last week of the season. Easy money. One uh one dollar for every uh, million dollar that Pete Alonso gets in an extension from the Mets. Let's manifest it, baby. Come on, let's yeah. do it. Get that Come done. On. David Stearns, it's time to get to work, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um uh Dollars for Dingers is great. Please, if you're listening to this and you are able to um go check that out. The link to the spreadsheet spreadsheet where you can just participate in the fundraising portion of it, even if you're not coming for the auction portion. That'll be in the description to this episode. And also it's available um, on pinned on the top of Allison's Twitter, which is also in the description to this episode too. So it's easy enough to find. If not, just search a pot of their own dollars for dingers. I'm sure it'll come up in some form or another. Um, if you're local to the New York area, Saturday, September 30th, against Alex's Philadelphia Phillies. That is forever how they will be known on this podcast going <laughs> forward. Um, come out to Ebbs. It's a great place to hang out. And it's also uh, a really good reason to go there for the first time if you've never been there for this event. That was uh, really fun for us to go to last year. So, Allison, thank you for organizing it. And thank you for coming on and talking about it. Tell people where they can find a pot of their own. What is the best way to search for that, to subscribe to it, to listen to it? Yeah, sure. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, you can find a pot of their own um, on. You can find our, us on social media on all the places. If you just go at uh, search at a pot of their own, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok, on Blue Sky. We are there. Um, if you go to homerunapplesauce.com, that's where we are hosted. We are a group of uh, Mets podcasts that were formerly associated with Vox before Vox cut all their MLB podcasts. And then we went independent. So it's kind of more important than ever that we get support from folks because we're doing this all on our own. Um, so yeah, homerandapplesauce.com. You can get us, you can get the minor league pod <laughs> who knows more about the Rumble Ponies than I do, <laughs> clearly. Um, and you can get uh, Chris and Brian's show. You can get like a whole bunch of Mets pods if you go to homerandapplesauce.com. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash homerandapplesauce to help us keep the lights on and whatnot. We appreciate the support. So, yep. 
and you know we are as far as i know um the only all women led mets podcast out there so go listen to a part of their own allison thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us we really thank appreciate you. it thank you alex i'll try not to hold the phillies against you too much. <laughs> he's still a good person Deep down in there yeah. somewhere, he's still a good person, even though he's chosen to do bad things to us. You know, I'm re- I'm wrestling with my choices a lot at night these days. <laughs> You're a good man, Alex, but you've heard us. You've heard us deep. <laughs> do you have anything? Any other topics you want to talk about before we wrap this up? I'm gonna circle back to Titanic. I can't believe you didn't get on that door. <laughs> uh, the the last thing I wanted to bring up, and you might have to brace yourself because this has to do with actual baseball that was played in the last week. So it won't take too long. Um, <laughs> this is just just cool. Again, was watching baseball and saw Ronald Acuna hit a 40th home run. Dude. It was so sick that it was off Patrick Corbin. Yeah, that was just incredible stuff. Amazing touch. Amazing touch. 40-40 uh, season, 40-50 season, 40-60 season. He's the first player with a 40-60 season. I don't know. This is my palate cleanser for today. Yeah. Of like, once again, despite everything that may happen at the, at the top level of no, an no, organization no. or whatever. Alex Anthopoulos did that. <laughs> Alex, Alex Anthopoulos is 40-70 season. <laughs> in that case he actually kind of did that with the Braves though like he's, he did get all the good well, yeah, players know, and then they all played good but again they all play good I mean just I don't know there's been a lot of discourse around this too because of like the changes to like the the base again because of the rule changes that can't be mentioned yet because the season's still going on when will the season end <laughs> I, I don't know. I find myself thinking of like the the meme of like the you know the two people sitting in the bus and one's looking out the like really dark side and they you know and like there are all the people who are like I'm not familiar with that one. Can you keep explaining it? Yeah, can you I keep can. describing it. Um, so What's the other one? There's doing? a school like- bus, um, and there are two people sitting on it. You know, and it's like you. And there's also another. There's only two people. There's no one. No one's driving the bus. No, I think that's why it's so scary. That's it strikes fear into my heart. Uh, I don't know. I just people talking a lot about. Well, this this feat literally would not have been able to be accomplished before, right? It's just like I mean, he has a he has a leg up because he and you're yawning as I talk about this, and yep. frankly, that's about how I feel when I hear people talk about that too. I'm Sorry. like, it's just kind of sick <laughs> that he stole that many bases and that hit that many home runs. Yeah, but more Mookie, people should do it. Mookie Betts should still be MVP though. Well, yeah. <laughs> I said this to someone. Um, I don't remember where I was or why I was talking about this, but I said that Mookie Betts should be the MVP, and they were like, "Are you, are you joking? Like, are you like? I think it's pretty clearly should be Ronald Acuna Jr." And I was like, "I don't think the Braves should have anything. Like, I don't, I don't <laughs> right. think we should give them nothing. Like, even if even if they do deserve it, like, don't don't let them have anything. You should never argue on their behalf." Is <laughs> like my <laughs> guiding philosophy at this point in baseball fandom. I agree with that, which is why I say with no disposition one way or another, whether it's a good or bad thing, Ronald Acuna does have a 40-70 season. I'm just putting it out in the world. It's impossible to say, but he did it for the Braves. So it's impossible to say whether it's good or bad. (laughs) He's amazing. You know who else is amazing? 
Who? I'm not even going to say it, actually, because it's mean to you. It's mean. Like Matt Olson. Oh, yeah. It's He's, all right. It's okay. <laughs> is it okay? <laughs> you know who else is amazing? David Forrest. <laughs> Yeah, man. He's just executing the vision. Yeah. He's taking like, that baton from Billy Bean. David Forrest is probably getting as good of a performance review as Alex Anthopoulos because he's doing what the owner wants him to do. Yes. I would love to see the internal performance <laughs> reviews of GMs from owner perspective. I would pay no less. I would, I would pay like a, at least $1,000 for that. Like per review. I would pay no less than basically everything we made off the Patreon. <laughs> I'd also probably pay no more than that, but... <laughs> okay if you would like to contribute to the buying documents from the A's fund right. is that how that works <laughs> you can sign up for the tipping pitches patreon patreon.com slash tipping pitches uh, there's three levels of support they get you different things uh, and we appreciate everybody who is already supporting us or who has supported us in the past of course uh, we do not begrudge anybody who has to tune in and tune out from the Patreon from time to time if uh, you know there are other economic needs in their lives. Totally understand that. And that is totally okay with us. We appreciate all support at all times no matter how long or short that support is. I just want to say that because you know we shout out new patrons a lot and um, you know plenty of people have like maintained their level of support like the whole time that they have been signed up. But like when people need to cancel that Patreon subscription too, just know that we appreciate the support that you did share with us and we don't say that enough um thank you again to allison mccaig for coming on and chatting about dollars for dingers please go sign up for that the link is in the link is in the description um some of you will remember that we um did this last year as well um we talked with allison and, and we shared that you can sign up to be part of dollars for dingers um it's it's a really important cause and it's a really cool thing that is like organized completely independently by fans but uses the community that is baseball for good. And I think that if you have a couple extra bucks, then you should commit to being part of this. Um, Alex, anything else to add? No, I uh, I don't think so. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, from from here on out, we're going to try and make every episode at least two hours long. Uh, that's <laughs> That's the goal. So you only get two hour episodes. This is what you wanted. <laughs> no, this episode is not going to be two hours. Come on, it's going to be trimmed down. I put my faith in you. As you should. It's never let you down to this point. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya! Did you see that Taylor Swift was at the Chiefs game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We gotta take the cloud away from it's, Travis Kelsey at so all fucking, costs. I, Travis Kelsey. I, I don't have the words for it. They're not actually dating. No, I know. But also, like, what is the benefit here for either of them? It's not like she's raising her profile. I genuinely don't know. The only thing I can think of is it's like a it's like a little Super Bowl performance, like like working her way into that world. 
I, hasn't she has she done the Super Bowl before? Ha- no, she hasn't. Well, I would support that. I I mean, I would too. Isn't she supposed to be an Eagles fan? Why not go to Jason Kelsey's game instead? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> who who are the Chiefs? I don't even. You want to do some Chiefs chat? <laughs> <laughs> the Bears. They're twelve and a half point favorites. Just so you know, the Bears or the Chiefs. It's Chiefs, bro. That uh, me asking that question sh- tells you a lot about how much I follow football. Do you want to place a wager on the over under? <laughs> What's the what is it? Forty eight point five. I think they're going to hit it on the money. Actually, <laughs> push. Bears are going to score a half a point. <laughs> All right, bring up your first topic. 